When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Bill Bryan, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, and you're listening to the Canned Air Podcast. Something strange in your neighborhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. And I'm Jack Doherty. And I am Randy Hardenbrook. And returning. To and I. Show. Oh, no, that's just at the end. <laughs> I thought you were seasoned. So you need you need like four or five more times on the show. Career. <laughs> My bad. Sorry, guys. No, no, bro. It made for a good laugh. I'm keeping that in. But <laughs> joining us today, uh, returning to the show, I think this is his third appearance, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Okay, returning to the show from Halftone Productions, we welcome comic creator Kiran Jack to the show to talk about a, uh, a Kickstarter he has going until November 6th for The Talking Bread, Volume 1, and I love the, the, the subtitle of this, Ready to Rumble, man, that's awesome. So welcome back to the show, Kiran, it's awesome to have you. Okay, I'm good to go now. You're good to go, yes. talk away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks guys, look, thanks for having me back on the show. Uh, three times, I, uh, I'd like to try and break that record. We'll see how we can go. I've got some uh, big shoes to fill, but it's great to be back on the show. And all that. So I, I love listening to it. And it's great to be back on. I, I, I invite that challenge uh, for you to, to hold that record yeah. and hold it for a long time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We'll, we'll keep an eye on the email, man. You just got to let us know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Before we talk about all that, we're going to be uh, going around and talking about some uh, cryptids and myths and legends. Uh, you know, me, Jack, and Randy, I think more so are like Ohio-based, but Grand's mm-hmm. in Australia. Mm-hmm. So he's got some uh, uh, myths and legends stuff we've never heard before. Very excited to hear and share with you guys. But before we do anything, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And if you want to show some support, many ways you can do it, people. Go to CandAirPodcast.com. There's a merch tab that you can click on. Get one of our, if not multiple, uh, of our new products on there with our new logos designed by Joshua Bellis. There's a TMNT-themed CandAir shirt. Star Wars, Simpsons, Simpsons, 80s themed, uh, all kinds of cool stuff on there. So check that out. Or if you don't want merch, if you don't want to wear us on your chest, you just want extra content to listen to, head over to uh, patreon.com or just hit the Patreon button on our uh, website. And for five to $10 a month, get you access to a ton for hours and hours and hours of uh, extra content that the normies aren't getting. And um, we just recorded the third installment of what we call You'll Never Believe What Happened uh, for this past month's episode, which turned out great, I think. But we just divulged stuff on that show that we share stories, crazy things that have happened to us that we wouldn't ever tell on this show. And the last one just came out too damn good. So I invite you guys to check that out. What am I forgetting, guys? 
check us out at uh, evergreenpodcast.com. Uh, also, it's it's getting real close, but if you have any uh, spooky stories, we want to hear them. Send them our way. Email them to us. Uh, whatever, come on and tell them. We'd love to get them on for the Halloween episode. And if you are in the Columbus area or within driving distance uh, in November, beginning of November, uh, the Tour Gaming Expo, uh, which will be uh, we'll be there in the middle kind of doing uh, quizzes and uh, just kind of hosting the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's November 5th at the Columbus Fairgrounds. There it is. So let's kick it off with this week's Retro Roundtable. Show me what you got. Hey, what you got? Oh, Taste bad. Yeah. Not cool. Disqualified. All right, guys. Cryptids, myths, and legends. Uh, Randy, kick us off. So ever since I was in high school, I had this book called The Unexplained, uh, which is like a 600-page book of just cryptids, myths, just kind of everything rolled into a nice little 600-page book. And uh, for my picks this time, I'm going to read a couple excerpts that I think all of us are going to be interested in. Okay. Uh, The first one, and I know we probably touched on this a little bit on the show but uh at the dayton air force museum or the dayton uh, air force base there's hangar 18 so Mm -hmm. uh, i've got an excerpt from uh a first-hand account of the uh basically when they supposedly brought the aliens over from roswell 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 (laughs) roswell (laughs) gotta get all the way down in roswell (laughs) shit shit A former Army pilot said he had been inside Wright-Patterson hangar one day in 1953 when a DC-7 arrived bearing five crates. These crates were moved via forklift. The informant saw three of them opened, and each inside each lay the body of a small humanoid on, a, on fabric stretched over a dry bed of ice. Four feet tall, the entities had large hairless heads with small mouths. The bodies were thin and looked brown under the hangar lights. They were dressed in tight-fitting uniforms and one, as two bumps on the chest suggested, space titties, uh, appeared to be female. He said crew members from the DC-7 later told him that a flying saucer had crashed in the Arizona desert and that one of the humanoids was still alive when a recovery team arrived and attempted unsuccessfully to save it. (laughs) The man impressed me as a person who is sincere and forthright, possessing no nonsense character. I don't know if I believe. I mean, you just, you word for word described my prom date, so it could have been really anybody out there. That uh, man's no nonsense. <laughs> I believe him. She had space titties there, Jer? Uh, I, I probably would have taken space titties over those. <laughs> they did their best to uh, to try to save him. I'm wondering how, how really hard they did to save the one. Probably just shot it. Oh, shit, we didn't save it. Yeah. I mean, it was Texas, after all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, you said it was in uh, the Air Force base, right? Yeah, but the crash was in brought, Roswell. Yeah. Oh, they came from Roswell. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I forgot guess those New details. Mexico, I'm not so Texas. hung up on the accent. All good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else to add on that? No, just Hangar 18. You know, uh, Megadeth did a song all about that. It's called Hangar. Did they 18. really? Yeah, it's called Hangar Eighteen. And uh, that's where I heard that name from. I think that that's where it struck familiarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, very good. Well, let's move right over to Koran. What you got, man? Got a couple here, actually. Um, when I sh- when you shot me the message about the the theme, I was kind of like, oh, I've got a couple here. I want to kind of bring them up and talk about. So 
in, uh, sorry, about an hour from Melbourne, hour and a half, give or take, uh, there's this town of Gippsland. And they've got some um, local horror stories and some legends that get around there. Um, the first is the Wan Thaggy monster. The, so similar to, time. I guess, Thaggy? One, one Thaggy. One okay. Thaggy. Um, it's, it's a, I guess it's kind of like your, uh, your, your werewolf style story. Um, you know, people have seen it. It is a bloodthirsty animal. Um, and basically it's, it's become an urban legend, um, of the, around the area and people believe they've seen it. They haven't seen it. Um, they ignore it. They, they, it's just a, a kind of a far-fetched tale now, um, about, um, an animal that is very similar to an extinct um, species we have here in Australia called the Tasmanian tiger. And it is it's very reminiscent of that animal, but it's never been proven that it was a Tasmanian tiger or it was the Wonthaggy monster. Um, so it, it's an interesting tale. I don't know if it's true, but it's uh, that it could be a wild dog. They've called it before, you know, it's it's kind of turned into its own urban legend out in that area. I just looked up a picture of the Tasmanian tiger, and it kind of just looks like mm. a um, hard to explain uh, long long snout like a dog, mm -hmm. kind of built mm -hmm. like a dog, but then mm -hmm. has like tiger stripes going down its back yeah. over its rear. That's incredible. I've never heard of such. Yeah, a thing. yeah. It's uh, it's it's been it's been extinct for a long time now, and it's kind of a it's a. It was an icon in Australia for a long time, and then we, you know, ended up fading out into the the abyss. And um, ever since then, you know, there's been stories of spotting of the Tasmanian tiger. Um, but this now, you know, its own little urban legend of the Wonthaggy monster. Um, and around the area, there is another urban legend of uh, a murder mystery that happened back in the 1950s. Uh, it was about a woman who. Um, Margaret Clement, and she was a wealthy Victorian um, heiress, and she had a mansion. Uh, it was called the Tullery Homestead. And with her and her sister, her father was, um, he was a mining, he, he mined for a long time, and he had um, wealth from the mines back in the early days of a uh, mining industry in Australia. And then that passed on to his daughters when he passed on, and they owned the Tullery Homestead, which is still standing today. It's, um, in a great farming land. So there's farmers out there. I've spoken to them and the, you know, they still find bits and pieces from around there, but they reckon that her, they never found her body. Um, they believe that the help actually, one of the helpers there murdered her. Mm. And um, it could have, because um, it floods in Gippsland quite often during the wet seasons that um, it may have flooded and washed her out to sea. And so um, you know, nearly what's now nearly seventy years later, they've never found the body. So there's uh, apparently the house is technically haunted. They call it. Uh, they, they, you know, there's things that go on in the house, and I've been told this by them. There's things that will move and quite eerie. But um, they, they do tell me when they do dig around the area, gardening and stuff, they do find remnants of the um, the original owners belongings um wow. and yeah yeah so they're buried within the actual um premise so you know it, it's quite interesting having that kind of thing happen to uh to you to be in that area and know that and live in that house i don't think i could live in that house it's no it's the, uh, <laughs> a little bit too creepy <laughs> but said that it is um it's pretty iconic here in victoria Australia um, and it does have tours and stuff you can go and visit the house and they've got some of the original settings from um, the original owner 
and her, her father's stuff. So yeah, you can go out there and see it, love letters, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's quite incredible once you dive into it uh, a little bit more. But hmm. I guess that's more of the folklore and urban legends here in, down in Victoria and Australia. If their possessions are buried in the yard, what else is out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's so haunting. I highly wow. recommend you. Uh, look, there's a few podcasts out there that talk about the the history of it, and it's quite interesting. There's a few books as well I've read. And it's pretty dark. Pretty dark. I'm going to definitely be looking into that. That sounds yeah. fun. I mean, not shit. for those people involved, but me just <laughs> to read some shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, very good. Yeah, I've never heard of that, obviously. I mean, we're, we're half the world away, so why would have I? But I want to go next because I want to piggyback off of Kieran's because mm-hmm. I had the Tasmanian tiger on there too because I, I, for whatever reason I've always been interested in that thing and it sucks to see that it, it's extinct now because it was you know hunted and died out but I also came across uh, in August there was an article posted from NPR that they they may try to to uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to bring it back <laughs> They were so uh, uh, consumed with with if you could, you didn't stop to think about if you should. <laughs> well, it looks like a collaboration between the University of Melbourne and uh, the Colossal Biosciences in Dallas think that they might be able to go ahead and bring it back. I had read not too long ago, because cryptids always interest me, that there are occasional sightings of some out in the wild. Like there might be like a small breeding population. Is that true, Kieran, or am I just it's been rude like it's all you hear it you know every year there's the same sighting and and breeding of it there's also they talk of a black cat as well as like a panther almost um spotted around the area and there's never been any official confirmed sightings of either the the black cat or the tasmanian tiger um people see it they say when they you know they're out in the um the bushlands here in australia um, but they have, there's never been confirmed sighting of the Tasmanian tiger, but yeah, I, I'm not a hundred percent on board with the, the whole create, recreating the animal through cloning <laughs> yeah. and genetics. I just think that's just a bad, it's a bad, 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 uh, bad idea. You're going to have a bad time. <laughs> you know what one, it makes me wonder, I don't know. Do you guys remember like in the early nineties, remember Dolly, the sheep, like, and, and mm-hmm. yes, all that shit where, the morals behind cloning a sheep, you know, because obviously we're doing that to see if we could clone humans and stuff. So, but they did it, right? They did it. They cloned mm-hmm. a sheep. So, yeah. I mean, aside from just not being able to get your hands on some of this DNA, I mean, what's stopping them? Why do they have to pull all these researchers together and feel like, well, let's just, let's just learn from what happened with Dolly and do it that way. You know, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of funny because it seems like everything has been fine since the Tasmanian tiger has been extinct. Nothing's really, I mean, has anything really been, a miss in the world so i mean if you bring it back and I mean, is that really just going to make anything better other than a zoo new a zoo exhibit another somewhere exactly. notch for humanity <laughs> to put in their belt exactly. yeah i mean we've already got one exactly and we've already got one animal over here called the tasmanian devil i don't know if we need a second uh tasmanian <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a name of a state and they're Tasmanian devil. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a Tasmanian devil, but they're they're batshit mm-hmm. crazy. Oh, they're and, cute. Uh, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They can be cute, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in the way of one. No, um, they sound they're little, horrible. but they're yes, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're actually at the moment. We've got. I think it's they're they're actually affected by. I think it's chlamydia. They're having a massive problem with Tasmanian devils and chlamydia, and it's killing them off. <laughs> 
Jesus, boys, so, Raptor yeah. Willie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty sure it's coming. Don't don't quote me on that, but uh, they're having issues with the Tasmanian Devil at the moment. So I mean, like, yeah. So I mean, anything with anything with the name Tasmanian, in it, it's a bit of a bit of a problem. So what? There's just like this one slutty Tasmanian devil running around, or like what? I mean, they're all slutty. <laughs> Wearing a dress and lipstick. Got crabs real bad. Yeah. I think I found that episode on Looney Tunes one time. <laughs> oh, Childhood man. ruined. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and they said the new episodes weren't worth watching. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, mine, my pick is a little bit interesting because I found an article I had snipped from the newspaper and folded up and just it was in, you know, that big box of all my trading cards that I keep shit in. It was just stuffed in Mm -hmm. there. I looked at it and I was I thought about trying to incorporate it to the show, but I didn't have a way. Well, now we do. So this clip or excuse me, this clipping rather, I'll show it to you guys. Well, Lake Erie Creature, Real or Monstrous Myth? And I'll just read you a couple little things from this. Uh, Lake Erie perch fisherman Charles Douglas knew something was amiss when he throttled his boat up to 30 miles per hour. Whatever was following him was keeping up. He thought it was a log, but it wasn't. That, that's the abridged version of that sentence. I want to read the whole thing. Uh, boating 10 miles off Vermilion uh, during the 4th of July weekend, Douglas was heading toward, excuse me, heading north toward the uh, rich fishing grounds along the U.S.-Canadian border when he saw something dark about 30 foot long and moving quickly. Now, there's been uh, myths for years that Lake Erie has its own Loch Ness Nessie. monster, its yeah. own Bessie, you know what I mean? So, um, skip ahead here. Now, Tom Solberg, a 52-year-old marina operator and self-appointed Lake Erie monster folklorist. Self-appointed, that's very important, I think. (laughs) Uh, Is too busy during warm uh, weather months to make it out to Lake Erie much. He's never seen the legendary beast, but has, uh, during the last four years, mapped 24 reported sightings. He has signed up... 10 businesses to back a $102,700 reward for the live capture of any previously unknown Lake Erie creature. To qualify for the reward, the capture uh, the captured beast must weigh at least 1,000 pounds and uh, be at least 30 feet long. Now, <clears throat> this clip, I'm looking up here in the corner because I was wondering how, how old it is. That paper anybody, looks old. Anybody want to take a uh, guess when I clip this? Uh... Was it something you found, or was it something you were alive and had? Like, is it? I was alive. I cut this out of the paper myself. Okay, gotcha. Uh, ninety-five. Close. Ninety-three. October thirty-first of nineteen ninety-three is how old this is, and they were putting, or at least the self-proclaimed uh, folklorist was putting <clears throat> together a team to go find hmm. this thing. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is crazy. Wow. What- I wonder if they found anything other than beer cans and used condoms up Lake, no. Lake Erie. <laughs> <laughs> There's more of that shit than there is water in Lake Erie. <laughs> That's it. There's still there could be a Bessie out there. I mean, it, there it, could it, be anything in the Lake Erie as polluted as it used to be. I mean, yeah, there could be a crack there three-eyed there. fish. What? It's like a three-eyed fish, like in Simpsons. I wouldn't be surprised. There's a nuclear reactor right on the water. Yeah, <laughs> there is. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran, the uh, the lake up there is so polluted right outside of Cleveland that it actually caught fire one time. That's uh, that's yeah, how your boys I... roll over here. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's uh, that's not good if it's catching fire. 
I'm very <laughs> familiar with Lake Erie, yeah, and uh, the the rumors of a pollution and uh, whatnot. We were just up there over the summer. We weren't in the water, just around the water, but <laughs> um, we were walking on a beach where you could see that nuclear uh, plant. Probably not a great idea now that I think about it, but um, one thing we found on the beach was a dead, like stork or seagull, something that eats fish, and it had a fish lodged in its mouth hanging out. They were both dead. So it's like this bird had swooped down, got the fish, choked on it, and then died, fell back to water. I, I got a picture of it somewhere, but I don't know if I should put that on social media. <laughs> Everyone's taking pictures of the scenic shit, and I'm taking pictures of the dead animals at my feet. So what's wrong with me? But if you join our Patreon, you might be able to see it. Mm, maybe. I mean, what am I going to do? Just put a picture on Patreon? Uh, I don't know. I guess I could type up something, but yeah, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, who's next? We're going back to Randy. All right. I'm super excited to share this one because I actually cherry picked this uh, for Kieran's input. So, and it's not just an isolated incident because there's literally like four pages in this book of these types of sightings, but kangaroos in the Midwest. <laughs> A strange yet comic event occurred on Chicago's Northwest side at 3.30 in the morning on October 18th, 1974. Two police officers responding skeptically to a bizarre report from a man who claimed to have seen a kangaroo on his porch were duly astonished to encounter the creature at the end of a dark alley. Not sure what else to do, Officer Michael Bryan attempted to handcuff the animal, at which point... <laughs> at which point he would relate what? it started to scream and got vicious. An altercation then assumed, uh, uh, ensued, during which the five-foot-tall kangaroo landed some good swift kicks on the shin of Officer Leonardo Kaigi. The policeman retreated and summoned help, which was arriving as the animal departed down the street at an estimated speed of 20 miles per hour. I don't understand what uh, went wrong. He was handcuffed. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Stop resisting! It's like, it's uh, like the most harmless limb on a kangaroo the tail in the legs man that's what you want to watch out for right yeah yeah so I, I look I, oh, go ahead i mean you wouldn't go after him you wouldn't even try no <laughs> not even, not even, yeah no i'm sorry no i can't do a chicago cop voice but i'm just imagining in my head like the interchange between these two like what the fuck are you gonna do i don't know i'm gonna cuff it <laughs> like that's no we're not gonna shoot it we're gonna like, cuff there him. now he's not going anywhere <laughs> got the cuffs on him <laughs> like, what <laughs> but like i said literally there are two pages over two to, or four pages sorry two front and back of just sightings of kangaroos and there's actually a picture um and i'll try and find it uh jeremy for you to post on this mm -hmm. there's a picture of a kangaroo in a marsh in wisconsin if you can see that wow but uh yeah, and that was taken April 24th, 1978. So. I wonder if that's like a thing where like like Tiger King where scrotes are just collecting like like exotic animals and then they get loose or some kind Probably. of thing. Probably. I mean, how, well, how there's kangaroos a... fucking migrate here without our help? <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple theories on here that they were like escapees from a zoo or something like, oh, you know, the in the 70s you still kind of got traveling circuses and shit like that. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. Smoking in restaurants, beating your kids without repercussion. The 70s were great, weren't they? <laughs> Hand, handcuffing random exotic animals in the dark alley at 3 in the morning? Yeah. 
Oh, man. Oh, geez. All right. Kangaroos. <clears throat> I mean, I'd, I'd be shocked as hell if I looked out the window and saw a kangaroo. It, it turned me on my heel, but... <laughs> Anyway. I'd be worried, especially if it was one of those buff ass kangaroos. Oh, oh yeah. right. <laughs> I'd, I'd be a punch hole in yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not coming into work today. There's a ripped kangaroo outside. <laughs> Did you ever see that? You saw the video where the 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 kangaroo had the dog by the neck. Yeah, oh, yeah and the guy, guy just runs up it. and just sucker punched it. Yeah. Well, I had <laughs> seen another awesome. video where it was probably bullshit but it looked like it was from like the same people where that kangaroo had followed that guy home or was like waiting outside his house or something or, <laughs> no. i saw a video and it looked like the same kangaroo man it, it was jacked but oh look i i wouldn't want to get in a fight with the kangaroo There's, you come off second best yeah. um yeah. I mean, recently recently in our, in our national um capital uh there was two kangaroos punching each other um, behind a row of fences and you know they they got that violent with each other they actually fell through the fence and kept fighting in the backyard of a resident i mean this is how they, they're wow. vicious i would not want to get in the way of them. we have them we have them out the front of our door basically here in victoria um and it's a new real estate so it's like you know it's still landscape of the bushland and they'll you, you don't want to come across them like you you basically keep your distance because if you get in get in front of them and they think that they're, they're being territorial then you're gonna come off second best yeah you'll get the hell torn out of your chin like that one dude but yeah. here in glorious yeah. columbus ohio there's an exhibit where you can actually walk straight through the kangaroos mm, but yeah. they're not they're small they're really small kangaroos oh I mean, uh, okay i mean they're not like arnold Schwarzeroo or whatever that <laughs> one was in, the, in that video like that thing was ripped there's no way they'd let you walk in there with that thing and i've got no. to imagine they've got some claws too some like yeah big claws but the red the, the red kangaroos are the ones you want to keep away from they're they're further in the middle of australia um they're they're the real real predators mm. what what do kangaroos yes. typically eat are they are they herbivores um no they eat what they want yeah basically <laughs> i think they're well they're marsupials so um they would eat yeah herb, they're basically herbivores i'm pretty sure okay, that's what i thought i wasn't sure mm. grass and grass and foliage and yeah never they thought just, about like, that until this moment. yeah yeah <laughs> a bad gang a bunch of bad dudes it's like the rippers in a uh, tank girl <laughs> all right very good uh, that brings us who that was uh who's picked uh randy's randy's yep. all right karan what else you got man so i've got one here um it, I mean, you guys would have heard this it's been used in pop culture quite often the dingo took my baby oh yeah <laughs> um so the story of uh lindy chamberlain and um i'm gonna pronounce this wrong Azaria Chamberlain. So um, back in the 80s, there was a camping incident in the Northern Territory at um, Ayers Rock, which is, the, you know, it's an icon within Australia. Um, bit massive rock in the centre of Australia. You, you used to be able to climb it. Unfortunately, you can't anymore. Anyway, this um, in the 80s, there were people camping around it, which we were allowed to do. And dingoes were quite often, you know, living around the area. And a baby was taken from a tent. Um, and there was a huge legal trial, yeah. And the mother was blamed for it, unfortunately, and they thought that she'd done it. Uh, it was never proven that a dingo took it. There was a lot of, um, you know, investigation around it. But, um, you know, I think it wasn't until 2012 that she was acquitted of the, um, the, the charges. She'd spent time in prison. 
because of it. Um, a massive, you know, obviously for her, but yeah, it was never found. The baby was never found. The dingo was never found. Um, so there's this whole um, story behind it where you don't know what happened and they don't know where the remains were. They don't know anything. So it's quite interesting. Um, but I guess it's a myth in itself, you know, what happened to the to the baby? Did the dingo take it? And I guess like in pop culture world, it's it's been, you know, the dingo took my baby, yeah. which has always been a joke in, you know, things like The Simpsons, for instance, they did do a skit of that. And, they did it in the it's Seinfeld too. Weird. Elaine said it at one point. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's uh, it's it's quite interesting. Like uh, I've followed it because it's such an interesting story, and um, having you know the mother thrown away in prison for so long, and then acquitted after so many years of being in prison for something that you know was proven that she she wasn't involved in, and it quite was proven. The dingo did take it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's quite it's. <sighs> quite a horrific event to go through i guess to, to experience that especially yeah. when it's your own child and that um but yeah dingoes are known to be predatorial and, and and vicious as well you wouldn't again you wouldn't want to come um toe to toe with a dingo like most creatures in australia they're just vicious in general i mean we're <laughs> yeah the running joke is australia's got the one of the most uh it's like a jungle out here with our predatory snakes and spiders and yeah. sharks and kangaroos then you get us people that go there from America and, oh, look at the nice dog. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks. We did. And, I'm going to yeah. see if I can put handcuffs on that kangaroo. Come with me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, a koala bear is cuddly. You're torn up from those, too. Yeah, they, they can be vicious as well when they're not stoned. <laughs> yeah. Right. Here, here. I mean, I think we could all probably say some point of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but all right uh jack what you got so i have one from a movie back in the 80s that i i really just realized that it it's actually kind of a whole new mythological creature which is gremlins what? they only really started coming around or being mentioned uh in the 20th century so what the 1900s and it was basically, something on the wing <laughs> basically it was just a a reason to say why the aircraft were having issues in World War II that they were just blaming on gremlins. There was no real reason. They did. There's a um, boy. It's funny you say that. It, it's actually I think on our YouTube page. Remember when we were putting up Bugs Bunny cartoons and shit? Yeah. There's yeah. a Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's at an airport in a plane, and there's a little gremlin that keeps tormenting Bugs, and they keep going back and yeah. forth the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. It looks like a little. His head has wings. He's yeah. Just like a little airplane monster. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I mean, it, it, there may have never actually been gremlins. It was just people being like, oh, it "Ain't my fault. It was the gremlin," you know? Yeah. Some blaming it on something else. Hmm. <laughs> it wasn't me. I had to try that sometime, but I don't think I'd be as successful as they were. No, gremlins are too popular anymore, so no one will really take you seriously. Oh, sure, because they immediately think of Gizmo and Stripe, the mean Spike gremlins. Spike and all them, yeah. Yeah. Was Spike the name of one of them? Stripe. But there wasn't a Spike, too, or no? Am I just thinking of Stripe? No, uh, Corey Feldman said, look, that one's got a little Spike on his head, so they called him Stripe. So that's how it went in the movie, at least. Huh. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in so long. Okay, um, let's see. Unless you had anything else on that, Jack. Nope. Okay, the next one I have is called The Loveland Frogmen. 
That was my next one, actually. (laughs) Was it? (laughs) Yeah, it was. So I just pulled a quick thing offline. What was it from? It was from the Columbus Navigator. Where they, there was a there was a page that had like 10 other cryptids on there. And I just took a screenshot of this to read it to you quick. In 1955, a man was traveling through Loveland, Ohio, when he saw three mysterious creatures. Of course, the story has many versions. So he either saw them near Branch Hill, Oregon, over, under, the bridge, whatever. Okay. The unnamed man claims that he saw the figures, which were about three to four feet tall, <laughs> conversing with one another. The creatures had leathery skin and the faces of frogs. <laughs> Can you imagine rolling up on that? <laughs> In addition to their uh, amphibian attributes, they also uh, had a wand that they waved over their heads. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which naturally scared the passerbyers. Uh, the story of the Loveland Frogman have been, has been repeated through the decades, with the most recent sighting taking place in 2016. A young couple was out uh, playing Pokemon Go when they claimed to see a giant frog-like creature that stood on two legs and walked toward them. That's pretty horrifying. I think I'd rather come in contact with a kangaroo than a frogman, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's actually, I think there's actually a picture of a Loveland Frogman. I'm trying to look. Oh, yeah, right here in this, in my book. Yeah, I saw a few online, yeah. too. And um, I saw the, the, the website that had that stuff. There was also a quick video of somebody who had caught supposed evidence of it. And it's a pitch black video with just two eyes glowing in the distance. So it could have been anything. All you got to do is shine a light over there. And anything over there is going to do the same thing. But It was a kangaroo! I, I would hope so if, if, if it was between that and Frogman. Three of them talking and waving a wand over their head. I mean, that's that's a descriptive encounter. It's not just like I saw three Frogmen. Like they were casting spells and having a charming conversation while they did it. That almost looks like a Budweiser commercial. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, those are some committed D&D players, but, you know. Yeah. Who knows, man? It could be. You know, it could be some of these things are just people having a hell of a lot of fun. Because there was, I can't remember where it was, but I listened to a whole podcast on this. Maybe it was the Criminal, the podcast Criminal, where there were reportings of a creature that was out in the water that would come up on the shore at night. And there was always, always these huge footprints, huge stride to them. And all kinds of investigators had been coming out for years and tr- people out there trying to catch it. No one could ever find it. And I, this was like 60s, 70s. Well, years and years later, this guy came forward and said him and his brother had been doing the whole thing. They pulled a box out from under his workbench, and there were these shoes they fashioned that were huge prints, but, you know, Mm -hmm. made to strap on their feet. And they can't remember how exactly they did it, but they talked about how they made those big, long strides and how they avoided, uh, you know, police or investigators detection. It was incredible, but how so many people believed it and were on board with it. And it was just these dudes in the back. (laughs) 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 We got them. So maybe maybe there are just three dudes with frog suits out there somewhere. Who knows? I don't even know where Loveland, Ohio is. Do you guys? It's down uh, by Cincinnati. Is uh, it's yeah, like Kings Island area. Mm, and even further down that way is where Mothman is, right? Yeah. Uh, A little bit to the more, east. Yeah, or, to, yeah to the east. east. Yeah, to the yep. east. That one's a little cooler. I also read an article <laughs> with the the Frogman that uh, it was like the seventies. Some guy that reportedly had shot it. Ended up saying it was just some big iguana without a tail. Okay, but do iguanas <laughs> typically stand on two legs? No? Uh, uh, no. Maybe if they have a leash and they're trying to run away, I don't know. 
Yeah, I guess I have seen lizards that, that take off running on two legs with their front arms just out like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's still, it's supposed to be like four foot tall frog man. I mean, that's that's a big iguana. Yeah. See, I could almost be on board with it if it just wasn't for the conversation in the wand. You know, this is so funny, man. <laughs> Serious. Years ago, I don't maybe I've told you this before, Jack. Years ago this happened to me. I was working in a garage, like changing tires and oil and stuff. And it was attached to a Walmart. It was, you know, behind the store. So people, customers who would come in, they'd drive through the front parking lot in front of the store, around the side, and then to the back was where we were. A woman came in once. She parked her car and I went out to, you know, check her in for her service. And she just looked confused. And I'm like, what's up? She goes, I just saw a dinosaur in the parking lot. <laughs> and I just looked at her like, come again? <laughs> what? <laughs> and she would not waver on saying I saw a dinosaur. She kept saying it over and over. She goes, there is something out there. And so I threw the thing to one of the guys. I'm like, I'm checking this out. I hopped in her passenger seat. He was like, take me to it. <laughs> so we drove back out there. And um, maybe about less than a quarter mile away is a was a trailer park. And somebody's pet iguana had got out. And this thing <laughs> was running amok in the parking lot. <laughs> So we had to go into like the, the fishing sporting goods area and get big fish nets and all kinds of things to catch this thing because it was fucking quick and the claws were huge. Oh, I would yeah. say it was every bit of four feet long. It was big. Dinosaur. Well, I mean, <laughs> you can understand why she'd say that, but it, yeah. Yeah. obviously not a dinosaur. But anyway, it, anything else you guys had to mention before we moved on? No. Uh, actually, I do have one quick question for Kieran. Mm -hmm. So just because here in Ohio, there's a lot of, you know, Bigfoot sightings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Do you have any experience with the Yowie, which I guess is kind of Australian's version of Bigfoot? Or have you heard any stories about it? I've never heard. I've never, no, I've never really heard of any stories about it. There's always the, the urban myth when you're a child, the Yowie's out there. You go camping out into the bushland and, you know, the Yowie will come and get you. We were told as kids, uh, the running joke, but we've never, ever seen it. And I think, in today's day and age, I mean, we've got the the confectionery treats called the Yowie um, that was produced by Cadbury originally, and you know it's kind of become a bit of a pop culture icon rather than a um, a scary mythological creature that was living out in the bushlands of uh, Australia. So I think it, it's become a bit of a joke now, more so um, more than a, a an urban legend. Fair it's enough. Kind of a uh, cryptid in itself, the Cadbury bunny. Remember that? It was a bunny. It was like, mm -hmm. like, what the fuck's going on there? Yeah. There's a clone gone wrong. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> we're going to jump to a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Coran about The Talking Bread, Volume 1. Stick around. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. If you're a fan of the Nintendo Entertainment System, then you'll love NES Pro Magazine. NES Pro is a quarterly NES-focused magazine brought to you by NES professionals from all walks of life in every corner of journalism and content creation. NES Pro features articles, editorials, and interviews from some of the coolest NES people around. 
We are also innovating and pushing the boundaries of what makes a gaming magazine by creating new categories loaded with awesome content for our readers. Take a trip into the past with content and collectibles that go beyond your expectations from a gaming magazine. Visit nespromagazine.com to subscribe today. That's N-E-S-P-R-O magazine.com. All right, we are back from commercial, and once again, joined by Kiran Jack. Thank you again for being here, man. Hope you're having a good time. Oh, thank you guys for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure to come on. Now, we've had you on the show before. We know all about you, but for people who don't know about you, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your uh, comic-creating history? Yeah, um, it's it, I've been doing it now for eight years. I've been independently creating comics um, after, you know, just deciding one day, you know, I love comics. I've been reading them all my life. You can obviously tell by the back wall here. I've got stacks and stacks. <laughs> you're of, in a uh, library. Graphic you're at novels. Home. <laughs> <laughs> this is the studio. This is, this is the, uh, the chamber where I work. I'm chained to the desk. And um, I decided to, to create comics. So the first one was The Talking Bread. Um, I've gone on to create uh, Purgatory, which is a bit of a life after death story um, about the Grim Reaper. Yes. And then we've gone on more recently to do uh, in The Apparition, which was a bit of a pulp parody take. And I've been on the show to talk about it before um, with you guys, mm. uh, which, was, which was great to be able to do that. And then... Locally, I've been working with a lot of creators as well on their projects, um, and then internationally with likes of guests of Ruben, who's been on before. I've worked mm, with him a couple yeah. of times on his projects. We've got something we're working on in the background as well, but it's it's great. I, I really do enjoy creating indie comics. I think there's a lot of freedom there to to really create your own stories and have fun. And um, I don't know, I, I've never worked for the big guys, but I guess you would be restricted by what you can do. Um, and, you know, idols like Kevin Eastman, who's been on the show before, um, you know, he started off with his creation, the Ninja Turtles, which is oh, yeah. phenomenal now. Um, it was an independent comic back in the day. So being right. able to do mm -hmm. independent comics is just, it's, it's such a treat. And you're so freaking good at it, man, because, you know, we've obviously, we know you already. We've got the chance to look mm. through these books and they're so good. So I, I can't recommend the listeners enough. If you're into comics, check it out. Halftoneproductions.com.au. But The Talking Bread, we that's what we need to talk about because you have that Kickstarter going <clears throat> until November 6th. And uh, it's the first three issues of the series put into a trade paperback that's been remastered. So can you tell the listeners not only a little bit about uh, The Talking Bread, but what, what kind of remasters, what kind of touch-ups has this series gotten? Yep. Yeah, so uh, like I said before, it was the first comic that I created. Um, it was based off my career as a baker. I, I trained as a baker mm -hmm. back in my early days, and I decided to write a story that touched upon the weird and the wackiness that I experienced working with different people and, you know, their kind of their own personalities. And and I, I looked at what I was raised on. I was watching a lot of uh, Saturday morning cartoons. I was reading a lot of weird comics as a teenager. So I kind of wanted to make it a mishmash. So I created The Talking Bread. So the premise of the story is 18 slices of sentient bread running amok in the city with their creator, the master baker. Yes, you heard right. Uh, and his <laughs> monstrous creations chasing after them. You have to say it slow. If you don't say it, you say it, it too fast. It just now occurred to me, man. It'll come out wrong. It just occurred to me. Yeah, uh, and don't get me wrong, I that's that was what someone used to call themselves in the bakery, and uh, the first time I heard it, I thought the same thing. And I've said it a couple of times. I've said it a little bit too fast sometimes at conventions, 
um, and people have mistaken it and they're kind of taken back by it. I have to correct myself <laughs> and go, oh, nope, sorry, that was meant to be the master baker. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It goes well with the parent. Adult comic? So, yeah, that was the premise of it. And I started out with my first one um, on Kickstarter, and it was just a single issue. Was, I thought, I'll do one, see how it goes. It was received really well. Um, so I decided to go back and work on another six issues to create a, a bigger story. And I had an immense amount of fun to create this story and the characters. It pulls from cartoons. It pulls from a lot of B-grade horror films because my love of film really comes from horror. So I was like looking at the horror films, you know, the blob, the, um, was it the invasion of the giant moth? There's things like that that just I just pull from that inspired me. And then cartoons like um, Invader Zim, you know, the Aru right. Monsters, Looney Tunes, Animaniacs, that wackiness, the cartoon, mm-hmm. the real wacky um, humour that they build upon. And I've kind of bled that into the talking bread. And so mm-hmm. each of the bread guys has their kind of their own um, personality and trait that I've tried to give it um, – which is funny because someone recently spoke to me about it and they said it really bleeds through like the Smurfs and I never really thought of it that oh, way. But get it out was, of my head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Smurfs are like individual personalities and characters and their own traits. So I guess that's kind of, you know, I watched Smurfs as a kid, so it kind of, yeah, it, it bleeds into that as well. So, yeah, it just kind of merged all together like that and um, it created this weird, wacky, wonderful comic book series. It could definitely, I mean, when you look at the pages, when you're reading it, you can definitely see it being a cartoon for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you did a great job at, uh, yeah, capturing all those things you were listing off. They just, they, they come Mm -hmm. right out of the page and the Smurf thing. I had never thought that looking at the talking bread, but I saw something on your Kickstarter. There was a certain picture with the master Baker coming down the street after the (laughs) slices of bread. And I just thought, man, he's the Gargamel of this story. You know, <laughs> so bravo. It's a, it's a, such a fun book. And if people are mm. into that, man, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like that. When someone said to me, it's Smurfs, I was like, yeah, I was exactly the same way. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, consciously, I didn't even think of it. Maybe subconsciously, I did. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's not like you ripped off the Smurfs or anything. There's just there's just no. a little tinge of like, oh, yeah. I can see where he pulled that aspect mm, from. Mm, exactly mm, what you were just saying. But it's that familiarity that keeps you coming to it, mm-hmm. lets yeah. you get into it some more. Now, the original books, I don't know if you may have already said this, but the original books were in black and white. And you've gone back and you've colored them all in for this, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, they were all done in black and white during the time, you know, affordability and I, I thought black and white was where they were at I didn't need to put them in color and as I've evolved as an artist my art style has changed and I was like all right well I actually don't have them at conventions anymore they've actually sold out completely um I think 2019 was the last time I had them at, at a convention so I had noticed that a lot of my books had become more teenager adult based and I had no um, comic books for kids. And I was like, well, I should really get the talking bread back out. It's a popular series. People enjoy it. We've sold heaps of them. I should try and get it back out there. So I started reviewing the artwork and I was kind of like, it, it needs, it needs color. It needs to have color if I'm going to do this. Anyway, my good friend, um, Brendan, who owns D's comics here in Australia and in Canberra, and he, I do a lot of um, comic releases through him with my variant covers and stuff. 
he actually said, don't you dare change any of that artwork. He said, color it, don't touch it. He goes, it's perfect. He goes, it's just like, so I had to go in and I had to review my art. I was like, oh, it could use a little bit of a touch up, couldn't it? And he's like, don't you dare do it. And I was like, all right. So yeah, it's been remastered. When I say it's been remastered, there are panels that have changed and there are panels that I've gone over the top of to make them a lot more smoother in transition. Mm-hmm. Um, Because you want the pages, obviously, to flow. And then I've gone back and re-lettered them as well. So it has been been remastered. It's been remastered with the the initial black and whites without losing that integrity that people originally saw. But there are updated panels and there is a little bit of inclusion, a page or two that I've put in there to kind of make the story flow better because, you know, as a creator, we evolve and we kind of see where our mistakes Mm -hmm. are. So to do it, I guess you'd call it I've George Lucas'd it. Uh, in the sense of gone back and, and done that. I did have a friend tell me that and I was like, oh. Uh, but I think it, it, from what I've received about people reading it, uh, it's been an enjoyable read again to go back to it. And they said that bringing colour into it has actually made it more visual as a cartoon. Um, everyone that's said that they've seen it as a cartoon as well. So Yeah. And Which the stormtroopers and the dewbacks help a lot. <laughs> That's really no man. You you didn't Lucas that stuff up. I mean, you just were like you were said. You know, as a creator, you keep learning, you keep growing, and you just mm-hmm. wanted to improve your work. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that at all. No, no, it's been an absolute. I've, I had an absolute um, blast being able to go back to it and revisit it, which has inspired me to want to do more with the talking bread now. So right. I think that's nice. in itself has been a really great process to go through. That's awesome, man. Very happy for you. Congratulations on your thank success. You. you do you do some great work, man. Yeah, thank now, you. Let's talk about rewards. For people who mm-hmm. are going to come back the uh, the talking bread, what, what kind of rewards can they expect? Yeah, so this time around, with obviously doing a trade paperback or a graphic novel format, I had to include some new stuff. So we've really gone back in and we've talked about the whole creation of it and the history of the talking bread, even though it's, it's only been eight years, but there's still a story I want to kind of tell my side of it. Mm-hmm which I didn't really get to do the first time around. So we've got some exclusive pages within the trade that you wouldn't have had with a single issue. Uh, it's in full color, which is you know a new feature, I guess. And then we've also got some making of behind the scenes in the book. Um, I've also created a variant cover that really is a homage to the, uh, the 1930s rubber band animation style. Um, oh my god it's uh, so weird you say that dude i just went to a uh like two or three nights ago the opening of what what's in columbus here the cartoon uh mm -hmm. what is it cartoon crossroads columbus crossroads columbus and we were at a movie theater where they played a ton of those old cartoons it was so cool to see like those rubber Uh, like you described rubber band arm yeah yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no, no, that's cool. That's, and I, I think I've fallen down the rabbit hole at the moment with that kind of animation style. Um, I've been, I've got the, I played the Cuphead game, of course. It's oh, the yeah. kind of what's brought it back to the forefront, I think, with that video game and how they played that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, I think that it's a, it's a really unique style. It probably has been lost to time. And with the likes of Cuphead and um, there's another video game as well that's done in a very similar style. Um, it's kind of, brought it back into the zeitgeist of everyone which is really cool yeah. so i was like i've got a i've been drawing a little bit here and there i was like i need to do something different do a different variant cover people do love the variant covers so i chucked uh, the rubber band variant cover in there rubber hose awesome. sorry rubber band um we've got enamel pins so we do bread character enamel pins sticker packs um we've got the which is an anthology series we did a few years back with some other creators 
they wrote their own stories that kind of take place between the original series, original sketches, um, original artwork from the book. And then we've got one cameo, which you'll get to appear as a uh, police officer chasing down the master baker Ooh, um, through the streets. Wow. So that's that, that one's there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's a few things on offer. We've got I've also got plush toys as well. We've got a plush toy donut. Um, yeah, there's a toaster enamel pins. There's donut enamel pins. There's, uh, yeah, the bread pins. I mean, we've got a fair, fair bit on offer as well from our previous campaign that we had still. Um, but, I mean, it's been successful in that sense. So we've been able to carry that on to the, ne- to the next one. So it's kind uh-huh. of good to come back and have fun with this one. Yeah, I would imagine so. That's so cool, man. You, you can win me over with a T-shirt. Or a pin, especially though a plushie or a, or a figure or something like that. I, I am all on board then. Um, Plushies are easier to ship. Then <laughs> <Yeah, I would laughs> uh, all the listeners at home, again, halftoneproductions.com.au or on Kickstarter, uh, just search the Talking Bread Volume One. We are going to be uh, putting those links on uh, on you know the post for this episode and on our social media. Is there anywhere else, Kiran, we should be directing people? That's that's basically it. That's hitting it on the head there, right there. Yeah, definitely hit the Kickstarter and check it out. Okay. Yeah, like I said, we'll get those links up there. And man, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. So thank you so much for being here. And let's make it happen more often because you've you've got to compete with some of these other people if you want to hold that <laughs> most returning guest title. Oh yeah, definitely. We should make a crown. Thank you very much. Just or a, like a wrestling belt that travels between <laughs> people who hold that record. Hey, you only know. if we cut promos. Say what? <laughs> I said only if we cut promos for it. <laughs> maybe <laughs> we'll see but anyway Karen, thank you so much for being here man it's always a pleasure oh look guys thank you once again for having me on it's always a blast to come on I, I i enjoy talking about my part of the world and you know having me on to let me talk about my work yeah it's well it's just as much of a pleasure for us man so thank you and with that Jack, what's on the website, sir? Go to handairpodcast.com where you can listen, like, follow, subscribe, become a patron, buy some merch, see some YouTube videos, and if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. And once again, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Cand underscore Air. And uh, that website Jack was just talking about, the merch button, get t-shirts, mugs, stickers with all of our new designs on them, uh, created by Joshua Bellis. And then, of course, our Patreon with hours and hours of entertainment. Randy, take it from there. Final call for spooky stories. We need them. We want them. Send them our way. And check us out on evergreenpodcast.com. And finally, if you're around here in uh, November, November 5th specifically, uh, Columbus Fairgrounds, come see us at the Tour Gaming Expo. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, for sure it will be. I'm excited. And I'm excited now because I get to go down to the fridge and grab me another Foster's. (laughs) (laughs) And he's never coming back again. I I saw him be like, nope, uh, he's not getting a reaction. He's shaking his head no. He's like, fuck you. (laughs) Don't do it. I don't blame you. I just wanted to see your face. (laughs) Good one. Good one. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And I'm Kieran Jack this time. (laughs) Thank you so much, everyone, and be excellent to each other.
Joey, the pond's frozen. Watch me ice skate. Wait, come back. The ice could break. Whoops. Help. Quickly walk back to the edge. Stop, you'll break through the ice. Snow job! Grab this branch. You should have been listening to canned air. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Snow job, how'd you get your name? Um. G.I. This has been a canned air production. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.